Good morning. Good morning. Well, that's good to hear. It's good to know that God is with you. Emmanuel is present. But it's kind of nice to know when you're preaching there's somebody else out there as well. And so it's just, excuse me, it's just good to be here. Well, this is the, um, this is the final of a three-week series entitled, Who Needs Christmas? It's an important question, I think, particularly as we come to this topic uh, this morning. Um, I, I'm sure you have seen somewhere a bumper sticker kind of slogan that reads out, he's the reason for the season. And of course, that's reflecting Jesus. And, well, I, I can't fully debate that piece of information. But I'd like to suggest that Jesus didn't need Christmas. I'd like to suggest that he did something for Christmas, but he didn't need Christmas. The truth of the matter is, we're the reason for the season. There's a grace about God that allowed him to enter into the, onto this planet in order to speak to us a message that up to that point was very fuzzy. And that was this simple truth. That it's not just that you need God, but that in needing God, he wants to do something through you that will make a world of difference. Christmas is about a celebration, not just that a baby lands in a manger. That is amazing. God leaving everything in heaven to stoop down to this lowly planet and to begin a life where where he spends 30 plus years. But the greater story is that God looked down on planet Earth and saw you and me. And in that scene, he comes up with this totally amazing, awesome plan that, uh, well, I'm thinking if I was in his place, I might not have done so well. He has done something so, so good for us. So, here's what we want to start. We want to work through this idea, who needs Christmas? We do. Matthew 1.18 starts us off. This is, this is how it goes. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. Now, before we get too far into this, we really need to define a couple of very important words, or or more accurately, a couple of very important names. Here's the first one that comes out of that verse, and that's the word Messiah. Messiah is Hebrew for the Greek word Christ, which has a very significant meaning for us. And that meaning is that he was anointed, or he is the anointed one. And one who is anointed to do a task has the blessing of God upon him. When Jesus enters into our world, or into our personal worlds, he comes with a mission from God. Keep that one in mind. The the second uh, name here uh, is the name Jesus. We know that one well. Hebrew name is Yeshua or Jehoshua, or for we Englishers, Joshua. We, we need to pause and explain something that's important when, in this area for when we get to verse 21, because actually in Hebrew, Jesus' name is Joshua. When his buddies came and knocked on the door and Mary opened it, they said, is Joshua there? And, uh, and that's, a, a, that's very, very significant in understanding this role that he's going to play. Thus the name Joshua and Jesus are essentially the same. So I'm not, I'm not changing his name on us. It's just different languages. But one has a very specific meaning for us. Um, because the ancient Jews were expecting their Messiah to be a Joshua. 
a warrior like Joshua who would rid their land of invaders. That's their picture. So the two words, Messiah, this anointed one who's come with a mission towards us, as well as this warrior uh, leader. Back to Matthew 1, verse 18 again. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a big deal, and initially not really a good way to start things. To be pledged at that time in, in Jewish history was somewhat, somewhat equivalent to us saying we got engaged, except it was a whole lot more serious. This carried, this, this, this being pledged, this carried the same weight as if they had been married. So when a Jew spoke of divorce, it wasn't just after they got married, it would equally refer, refer to perhaps their engagement. That was a pledge that was just as serious, a commitment just as serious as their marriage vows were going to be. So since they were legally bound or pledged, she could have been, because she's discovered to be pregnant, I wonder how long she was in this way before it became obvious and before the news got out. But somewhere along this line here, it, begins, she, it, it, it soon becomes aware that something is going on with Mary. She's pregnant. Not a good thing. So since they were legally bound to or pledged, she could have been executed in previous generations. The law provided space for that. We don't hear a lot about that, but the law was pretty serious about this. She could have been executed, but Mary could, would certainly be sent to live somewhere else, put outside the family slash village. She was ostracized. She had become or would be a shame to her family. Not a particularly pretty sight. Let's go to verse 19. Because Joseph enters him, Joseph enters here, because Joseph, her husband, you notice the language, Joseph, her husband, not married yet, her husband was faithful to the law. He's a good godly man, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace he had in mind to divorce her quietly. What a man when you stop to think about it. I mean, this is a man who should have carried the shame and embarrassment of, of his pledged woman who somehow has gotten pregnant. And yet rather than becoming a wrathful man, he finds a way to secretly, quietly, well, deal with this. It was a huge deal. She was, a young, she was young, and she was so loved by that man that he, Joseph, extends grace instead of humiliation. There's our sermon almost right there if we wanted to stop. We think of the, the lessons Jesus is going to teach out of that when it comes to the Sermon on the Mount when he talks about loving our enemies and blessing those who despitefully use us. Here we see prior to all of that a man by the name of Joseph who acts on it already. Extends grace. Instead of humiliation, verse 20. But after he had considered this, 
An angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, I assure you, no one was expecting this. This was such a Greek idea, really. The gods mating with humans. Where was that going to go? I mean, Hercules was the son of Zeus. Helen of Troy is the daughter of Zeus. And making this up would not have made the story more credible. This is just a strange thing that's unfolding that people in that day had to try to get their heads around. Verse 21. She'll give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. Slash. Yeah, we've got to hang on to that name here for this story. Could this be happening. I mean, this is Joseph processing this. I'm sure parents were wondering what was going on here. They're hearing the stories, but they're so crazy. Could this be happening? So specifically instructed by an angel to give him the name of the Old Testament warrior deliverer. That could only mean one thing. The angel said, you're going to call him Joshua. 21. Because of hundreds of years as a client state, first Assyria, then Babylon, then Persian, and now these miserable Romans, finally Joseph is thinking, we're going to regain our independence. And even though I may not live to see it, after hundreds of years of operating as a client state, we are finally going to gain our much-desired and we believe deserved independence. Verse 21, he will save his people. Well, of course. Of course he will. He's, he's, he's Joshua. We, we all know the story of Jericho. We know what that man did. And this angel told me specifically, the name you're going to give this boy is Joshua. He will save his people from their oppressors. Sure, sure, that's, that's probably where the angel's going with this. Invaders, Roman occupation, those, those pagan dominators. No, he will save his people from their sins. What? That's, that's not really a felt need right now. I don't know if you understand this. <clears throat> Excuse me, angel. Clearly, you aren't familiar with Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs. That's, that's evident here. You see, our first need is obviously our physical needs. Because, because that's, what, that's what's required for survival. You've got, you got to take care of yourself first. It's about our safety. Sin doesn't make a showing in the list. Physiological needs are the physical requirements for human survival. Sin? Really? Have you been paying attention? That's not really our pressing need at the moment, if you hadn't noticed. You see, Angel, about 20 centuries from now, one of our relatives, a guy named after Father Abraham, Abraham Maslow, will develop something called the hierarchy of needs. I repeat, save from sin isn't even on the list. I don't know if you've noticed, but we have, we have a difficult time feeding. You see, 
you see, there's, there's these rich people, a lot of them, or a few of them, and then there's a ton of us poor people. And life isn't working really good. We, we kind of scrounge, we kind of do our stuff. There's nothing like a minimum wage going on at this time. No, there's nothing but struggle. No, there's something more that needs to take place here. We need jobs. We need, a, we need a, an, an economy that's going to support our nation. We need, we need rulers who will take care of our needs. That's the struggle that we're facing right now. Life is going downhill while a few people are going uphill. And it doesn't feel good, if you hadn't noticed. Life's about jobs. It's about economy. It's about how do you deal with pandemics. Hey, we'll bring it up a few centuries here. It's about how do you get through the stuff where everything seems to be going against you. That's the message we need to hear, angel. And now you're telling me I have to support a baby. Besides, angel, I don't know if you've noticed this either, but we really have an elaborate save-you-from-sin system. Have you visited the temple? Have you, have you read the Old Testament? It covers every imaginable sin going. It's, it's in the book. We got the sin thing covered. But I tell you, who needs saving? I'll, 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 let's go there. Rome needs saving from sin. We need saving from Rome. We need a savior with a sword. We, we have a way of, of, of dealing with sin. We, we, we need a way now to deal with Rome. We need another kind of saving. The Joshua and the Jericho kind. Besides, our sin isn't our problem. Rome's sin is our problem. Compared to Rome, we're saints. Save them. Now, I'm thinking you're guessing by now. That's not quite the real conversation that was taking place there. But as we look at the reality of those kinds of conversations, I found myself somewhat embedded in it. I began to realize how easy it was for me to point my finger at somebody out there who's dealing with the same sin that I'm dealing with here, and yet their sin has a way of looking a whole lot worse than my sin. It's a strange thing or a way that we approach the reality of this thing called sin. Oh, Rome's sin is our problem. Compared to Rome, I'm going to tell you again, we're saints. Save them. It seems like a waste of a savior, if you ask me. Let me say it again. What we need is a savior with a sword to deal with Rome and our crazy King Herod. There's a lot of logic to that. I, I mean, if you're in Joseph's shoes, I, I think you could sort of see the, the rationale that was going through his potential head. But Joseph didn't respond that way. As natural as that would have been, as instinctual as that would have been, Joseph came up with a different response. And this, in fact, is the world changer. Joseph did what any of us would have done had an angel spoken directly to us. Matthew 1.24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. Know why many of us aren't moved when we hear God sent Jesus to save us from our sin? That's a harsh statement. 
I had to ponder that one when, when I wrote it out and I'm thinking, is that true? Do, do, we, do we have such a serious way of justifying things that somehow we don't realize the criticalness, the danger of the sins that we carry in our own selves? Know why many of us aren't moved when we hear God sent Jesus to save us from sin? It's not a felt need for us either. My real issues are, well, have you met my boss? Have you? If you lived with my boss for five days a week and sometimes on Saturday and sometimes all the way up to 7 o'clock, you would understand what my real needs are. Have you, have you stepped into my marriage yeah, maybe I smile here, but if you step into a marriage, maybe, maybe it's there you discover the, the hurt and the pain and the stuff that's going on there. It, 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 that's, that's my need. I've I got to figure out how to survive in that context. Or, or, or I'm wondering, Angel, do you understand the loneliness of singleness? Do, do, do you get that one? Do, do you realize that, that while everybody else is going about their duties, I'm doing it alone? Do, do you get that one? My mom and my dad, if you want to know what's the matter with me, go back a generation, right? There's my challenge. That's what's really going on in my life. My job, it's so insecure. I'm depressed. I don't want to get up in the morning. I have addictions. Maybe you don't even know about them, but I carry them. I struggle with them. You see, your pressing need isn't sin, is it? Yeah, now, now we agree sin is a problem. That's, that's not the issue. That's not what we're debating here. Just at the moment, not our sin. His or her or their sin is my problem. It's kind of that Roman phenomena. If you'd only straighten them out, we'd be fine, right? No, we need saving from the other guy's sin. So you know why many of us aren't moved when we hear God sent Jesus to save us from our sin? We have a different focus, but it doesn't change the angel's message. We have a way of looking into our world that somehow helps us to bypass, rationalize these things that I can't quite master. Romans 1.21, I mean Matthew 1.21. You're to give him the name Jesus, Joshua. Because he will save his people from their sins. We're going to make a bit of a switch here because we're going to turn this clock. We're going to talk about a a reality that we want to take all the way into our lives, which means tomorrow and the days that follow. You are to give him the name Joshua because he will save his people from their sins. Now, Now, when we read that, here's what we hear. This is kind of a paraphrase. See if you can pick up the difference. Let me give you the the real one first, which says, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. But here's what we hear. Here's what we hear and here's what we say. You're to give him the name Jesus because he will forgive his people of their sins. Red flag. A significant red flag. Now, it's awkward here. It's going to sound like we're just playing with words. But I don't think we're playing with words. I think we're playing with ideas, and I think we're playing with focuses. You remember that adage, that scripture that says, as a man thinks, so he is? No, the way we look at words and the way we look at concepts and principles drive the direction we go in. Let's work with that one. 
Red flag. We reduce, we reduce Christmas to forgiveness. Hang with me, please. Perhaps your entire experience with God has been, nobody's perfect. Come on. Come on, come on, come on. Give me some slack. Nobody's perfect. After all, here's what I know. God forgives. But I'm here to tell you the message of Christmas is bigger and better than that. If Jesus and Christmas are only about forgiveness, you've missed the full message of Christmas. See, the real message was and is, so the angel said you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's a different story, my friends. That's not just kind of having something taken care of because I, whoops, I kind of slipped today. Jesus, would you forgive me? That's a reality that we can walk on that separates us completely from the simplicity of just hoping I'm forgiven. You're to give him the name Jesus because Jesus came to save us from, to deliver us from, like a warrior king to rescue us from our slavery to sin, the nation of sin, the dominion of sin, the power of sin in you. Let that sink in. There's a deliverance going on here. There's a power beyond just you struggling with some habit or sin. There's a God who wants to do something far greater than just say, you're forgiven. This kind of foreshadows in his words to a woman caught in adultery. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I think we skip over that line because in our heads that's impossible. Let me me work with that phrase just for a second. Here's this lady caught, potentially could be stoned, terrified, pushed before this Messiah, got all these guys around her pointing fingers, and Jesus does his little thing, and those guys wander off looking stupid. But he turns to this woman, and he says to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, that's a real statement. That isn't just kind of a catch thing. Now, come on. Do a little better. No, he's eyeballing this broken lady, this scared, terrified woman. And he said, you know what you just went through? Was it any fun? No. Were you scared to death? Yes. Do you want to repeat that one? No. Then he says to her, then don't do it again. You see, there's, there's a power in the gospel that allows us to address those habits, those addictions, those things in our lives that Jesus wants to move in. It's not about condemnation. It's about delivering you. Don't do it again. It's stupid. To the Pharisees, he said, John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. To the Samaritan woman whose sin had ruined her reputation, Jesus says in John 4, 13 to 14, everyone who drinks this well water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. Everyone who drinks this well water will thirst again. 
It's, it's a strange human reality. Uh, we, we run back to the stuff that hurts us the most. Isn't that funny? I want, I want you to just kind of put your finger on that thing that you're struggling with right now. I want to ask you, are you really having fun with it? Oh, in the moment, maybe. Let's take the bigger picture. Has it been really everything you wanted it to be? My guess is it's not. But if you run back to that, it's like going back to that well. You're going to drink from it, and you're going to drink from it, and you're going to drink from it, and it will never satisfy you. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In other words, Jesus is offering us something that is going to turn our world around a 180 degree. He's going to turn us from sin to this thing called eternal life. Eternal life isn't just living forever. Eternal life is a, is a, is a life defined by the character of God who lives this thing called eternal life. And he's inviting us into it. Now that all sounds bigger to me than just being forgiven. Paul would unpack it in his letter to Roman to the Roman Christians. I think he does it well for us, Romans 6. Here's going to be our challenge, friends. There's an enemy out there that wants to tell you, no, no, you can't beat this. He's going to give you rationales. I'll guarantee it, if you're struggling this morning, he'll give you rationales that'll excuse you and turn you away from everything I'm going to say right now. Well, not what I'm going to say, what Paul has already wrote for us and said for us. We have lived, if we have struggled for long periods of times with addictions, then we have been married to a deceiver who tells us that's the only way it can be. We hear it back here. We try something different. We go through the, 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 the steps that we think we should go through, but we find ourselves back at that same lonely spot. Here's what Paul says. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. So that you obey its evil desires. I wish I had a beard or whatever Paul looked like and had a toga. And I could just stand in front of you and I could say, don't. This isn't pleading, hoping that maybe you'll find the moment where you'll be free. This is him eyeballing us this morning and saying, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. It's a choice. It's a choice that we don't always understand. It's a choice that we stumble over at times, I admit. But that's his language for us. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin, he goes on to say, as an instrument of wickedness. But rather, now here comes the choice. Excuse me, here comes the choice. But rather, offer yourself to God as those who have been brought forth from death to life. For sin shall no longer be your master. Yeah, yeah. Here's the enemy saying, oh, come on. You're human. That's, that's pie in the sky. Yeah, that, that's going to happen when you get to heaven. We all know that. We're going we're to get through this life somehow, and we're going to land on the great shores of heaven. The pearly gates are going to be open, and we're going to go in, and then everything is fine. I want you to know that when we were saved for eternal life, it happened the time you were saved. 
We've walked into a life with all the eternal possibilities. It's for us, friends. It's a word for us. It's a strong word for us. But it's a word for us. Paul summarizes his teaching with a statement some of us learned as children. I'll guarantee if you went to DVBS or somewhere in Sunday school, my mother used it to scare me. But it goes like this. The wages of sin is death. Here's the truth. If you want to defend what's going on within yourself, then I want you to understand that you're committing some kind of spiritual suicide because sin always leads to some form of death. The wages of sin is death. I'm not making this up. Sin kills things. <clears throat> Even forgiven sin kills things. Talk to a spouse whose spouse has been unfaithful to them. That spouse, they may have worked through their forgiveness. Talk to that spouse. Something dies in that. Talk to the man who's, who's been com- who committed murder and, and he's got a life sentence and he's in prison and he finds Jesus. And he discovers this amazing freedom that Jesus offers And he's so excited about this new life that he never knew before. And he's telling everybody about it. But at nighttime, the door is still closed behind him. Sin kills. Even forgiven sin is dangerous. But the gift of God? The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Life that frees us from sin's control. This was and is the gift of Christmas. Not just forgiveness, but freedom from the power of sin. Forgiveness forgiveness for versus freedom from. Through Christ, you can have a new master. Not the law of God, the spirit of God in you. I'm thinking still, some of you who have struggled with sin are saying, no, 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 this, this, this cannot be. And the only reason that you can say, no, this cannot be, is because your line of vision is always in your past. I've tried it. I failed. I've tried it. I failed. I've tried it. I failed. What you're talking about, no. You see, the reality is... What we look at, the Bible even says what a man thinks of, that's what he becomes, what he thinks around. I I want you to know that the call today is not to look behind you, but to find a way of looking forward into the new possibilities of what God has to offer you. Perhaps for you it's time to move beyond forgiveness-only religion. It's the reason Jesus came. He broke the power of sin. You see, he he lived a life without sin. He offers that life to those who will receive it. And again, I'm thinking there's some objection. Are you saying that we are going to live sinless lives? No, I'm not saying that. I, I, I acknowledge the fact that as we move forward, the sins that I got forgiven for today, though they be covered, we'll talk about that in a minute, but there's a new thing coming around the corner. 
I mean, we live in a fallen world, and we're fighting a battle against an enemy that wants to destroy and kill us. That's our reality. When you wake up in the morning, you're walking into a war zone. We know that. The question is, are you going to believe that you're a failure, a victim, and listen to the words of a deceiver? Or are you going to turn your vision towards the one who has promised you deliverance? The way you look will define the way you approach your day. Just as simple as that. If you've got a victim's mentality, and it's so easy to get there, you'll live a victim. And everything that I said this morning will make absolutely no sense to you because you can only define your life by your failure. When Jesus comes along and gives us a whole brand new promise and he says, I want you to define your life by my victory for you that I have come to save you from, deliver you from your sin. Sin is not your master. Jesus is your savior, master. He came to save you from sin. How do we approach this? I don't want to make this so simple that it just, I don't don't want to make this simplistic. But there's something initially very simple about the kind of solution we have to come up with. Here's a different scenario. Rather than this struggling, this trying, failing, guilt, shame, asking for forgiveness, trying again, and then falling back, you know the cycles. Here's a different scenario. Every morning, on your knees, or in your closet, or wherever you make your your place of prayer, I want you to do something so fundamental. I want you to say, Jesus, I surrender my feet, my hands, my eyes, my ears, and my thoughts to you. I think somehow that's what Paul did when he said, I die daily. I take those things that want to define me and I crucify them, I hang them on the cross and I surrender who I am into the hands of God and I enter into my day that way. Are you going to fail? Maybe. Will it take some practice? Probably. But I'm telling you, that's your trajectory. It's when we learn to surrender who we are to the only one that I know of who can break the cycles that we are living in. If we confess our sins, it says, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. There's a kind of three-step process happening here. We have to walk through this. One, if, oh, wait, if. You see, that's the very definition of choice. When you come up against this standard, the whole standard is defined by this little word, if. It's going to start up here somewhere. It's going to start down here. How serious am I about this? Am I just trying to get rid of some latent guilt? Am I trying to get rid of some shame because of what happened last night? Am I just trying to get rid of stuff so that tomorrow will be better? Then if that's the case, you haven't come with a heart of confession. But rather... You need to come 
to that point of confession in a very, very serious way. This is the open acknowledgement that we, you, I, have sinned. It's a willingness to see our sin as God does. For then we'll see the ugliness of it, how abhorrent it is, what it is doing to those around me. That is when I will understand that it is killing everything within me. Hang around with that sin and your life goes dull. If you've hung around with an addiction long enough, the color has gone out of your life. It has. You're obsessed by it. You're, you're in bondage to it. And oh, how you long for something called freedom. It comes with confession. Confession and repentance are Siamese twins. It's this choice that says, I'm going to take who I am, what I have been, who I am, and I am going to lay it on the altar, and I'm going to allow God to give me permission to let me see through his eyes at what this is. Because when I understand what this sin is all about and what it is doing, it's my greatest motivator to back away from it. I have to see it as God sees it. Otherwise, I'll justify it, or I'll play it down. I'll minimize it. Confession is seeing our sin as God does and choosing to decide to abandon it. So ask God to give you eyes to truly see what it is you are confessing. Here's the second part of this. So if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. That's a good word. Don't go away this morning saying forgiveness isn't about anything. No, forgiveness is everything. When I have offended somebody, the best words that I can ever hear are I forgive you. We need to hear that from the lips of our Father, from from Jesus our Savior. No, your sins are washed away. I forgive you. But now you have to get this. This isn't God just patting you on the back saying, oh, my poor child, no worries. I I forgive you. I I know life is tough. I I know things haven't been fair for you. I I know you've, you've had a lot of disappointments in life. So, yeah, there you go, my son. I forgive you. No, I forgive you comes from the lips of Joshua, the warrior king who's serious about doing business in your life. When he says, I forgive you, it's not a pat on the back. It's neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Take that sin and throw it in the trash and realize that that's what it is and give it a name called trash. God is faithful and just. He will forgive us. Forgiveness is a major agreement regarding something God takes very seriously. He detests our sin so intensely that we are told he separates it from us and him as far as the east is from the west. Here's how the text reads. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. When we just want life's forgiveness, what we're doing is shoving it over here. When what God wants to do is throw it away to where it can never be found. That's what he wants to do for us. Or he said he'd take our sins and cast them in the, in, in, in the deepest sea. I love what Corey Ten Boone said about that one. Uh, she said, when he threw my sins in the deepest sea, he put up a sign. And that sign said, no fishing. You see, there's a choice in the matter. 
We can try to get rid of the stuff, but if all we want is just to get rid of it for a little peace of mind, it will come back on the hook just about every time. Jesus, in the prayer he taught his disciples, said, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Or as some say, some translations say, deliver us from the evil one. Friends, my brothers and sisters, Christmas is a story of amazing freedom. It's a story of a Savior who came to set his people free. I'm saying this morning, the call is now to embrace the freedom. Not the failure, the freedom. It all, it, it, it all comes down to which direction you're going to choose to look in. I'm saying, look forward. Look ahead. See the promises and the places that God wants to take you. Much more satisfying than the stuff that robs you of life and kills everything inside you. Embrace this freedom. It's the best gift you'll ever receive. That's not just a cute little saying to end off a sermon. I'm guaranteeing it. We can put our money on it. We know that this freedom takes us into new tomorrows. Absolutely. If if you're not a Christian here this morning, I'm here to tell you that sin doesn't have to be your master either. Everything that I said to the church here this morning... I want you to take it and grasp onto it too. Confess that sin. Confess that you are that sin. And allow Jesus the privilege of forgiving you in order that he can cleanse you from all unrighteousness and whip his arm around you and call you my son, my daughter. That's what he longs to do. That even is a better Christmas gift than the one that I offered the rest of these people. We are therefore now children of God. Hmm. So, who needs Christmas? All who need to be saved from their sins. Who needs Christmas? All who need to be saved from their sins. Let's try it again. (laughs) Who needs Christmas? All those who need to be saved understand that God wants to whip it away from you and give you this thing called abundant and full life. Matthew 1.21. You are to give him the name Jesus slash Joshua because he will save his people from their sins. Let us pray. Father, so much said this morning, and some of it could be so could be struggling in the hearts of some and, and, and it, it stands often so contrary to the way we've experienced life up to this point. And, and Father, it's easy just to rationalize a lot of this away, but I'm praying, Father, that the goodness and the grace of your Holy Spirit would fall down upon us, give us eyes to see what you want to do in our hearts and lives. Help us to understand that the gift of eternal life isn't something after we die. And that while you cover us with your righteousness, at the same time you want to deliver us from our unrighteousness. Cleanse us, be with us, in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us as we sing?
else commands all the hosts of heaven? And who else could make every king bow down? Who else can whisper and darkness trembles? Only a holy What other beauty demands such praises? What other splendor outshines the sun? What other majesty rules with justice? Only a holy
want to invite the prayer teams to come forward. We're going to have that available to you in just a few moments. What if Christmas 2021 really is for you? What if this year, maybe even right now, the power of sin was broken in your life? He came to save us from our sins. That was a word of life to me this morning. Maybe it is for you too. Maybe it's time. Maybe you want to come forward to have prayer about that with someone. Maybe you just want to sit in your your seat for a bit or stand there before you leave and say, Lord, I want to have done with this. I want 2022 to be different because something has broken off my life. A baby born to save us from our sins. What an incredible thing. It's going to take surrender. We've got to take a knee sort of and say, Lord, I want to have done with this. I don't want to cycle through this again and again and again. I want to have done. So we're going to invite you to come. Maybe you've got other needs. I spoke with someone this morning. They wanted to be prayed for for a physical need. We're going to invite you come as well. But if you've got those kinds of needs or something in a family situation, you want some people to pray with you, these teams are here to pray for you. Uh, they care enough to be involved in this because they love this church. So we're going to dismiss, and you're free to go. But if you want to come or you want to just take some time and just say, okay, I got to unwrap this present this year. I want to be done with sin. Or I've got other needs. You come for that as well. Lord, we thank you for your people. We just pray, Lord, as we close this service and move into a moment where we can talk to you, along with others, pray maybe for us. Lord, we just welcome you. We just say, Lord, come and talk. Come and speak. We'll listen. We will obey. Guide us, we pray. Bless your folks, we pray. God bless. Merry Christmas. We don't see you. God bless you.